Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, talk and talk. Alright, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. Alright, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy it. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to Feeling It. Each week on this show, we like to share what pieces of pop culture we're really feeling. Whatever show, movie, song, or tech, we just can't get out of our heads. In addition to those picks, this week we'll be discussing the highly publicized Don't Worry Darling. But before we get started with all of that, let's introduce ourselves. And when we do, let's answer the question, what famous musician should be thrust into a lead role in a film next? I'm Lucas Strait from Chicago. And my understanding is we're not talking about people who have acted before. Someone like Olivia yeah, Rodrigo or... Exactly. You know, um, in that case, I am going to choose Billie Eilish. I think <laughs> she is someone with enough clout that you could just put her in a lead role and, you know, see what happens. <laughs> yeah, and she definitely has, like, the pathos that, right. you know, you could con- conceive of a film that she stars exactly. in. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that's a great answer. I am Sandra Omstetz. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. And when I was trying to think of my answer to this question, what came to mind immediately is that Paul Thomas Anderson just recently did this with Alana Hine, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thrust someone into a lead role for the very first time. And why not? He should just maybe move on to the next sister and give Esty <laughs> Heim her own movie. And then maybe complete the trio and give Danielle Heim a movie after that and do like a little Heim sister trilogy. Yeah. His, his new muse section there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But Esty is the one that I think should be the, the, the next the next guy. Okay. The, I think the, the hard part about that question is like, you don't know how these people are at acting. Absolutely. The reason I went in that direction is because I recently just saw Hyman concert this past week. And man, those girls are so charismatic. They have the most amazing stage presence. Alana clearly is the star for me. Like, yeah. I could not take my eyes off of her during that concert. But of course, SC has like this amazing sense of humor and personality that I think would yeah. translate. Yeah, they both did well in Licorice Pizza. So yeah, just bump them up to starring. Right. Let's let it go. So yeah, we're going to we're going to talk much more about what it is like when a musician stars <laughs> in a film. Um, but before we do that, let's talk about what we're feeling this week. Lucas, what are you feeling? Yes. Um, this week, I am feeling Anders Anders, uh, well, Anders Ericsson's YouTube channel. Anders Ericsson is a uh, bartender here in Chicago. And during the pandemic, uh, when his bar was closed, he started uh, posting really just fun videos of how to put together cocktails um, on YouTube. Um, he is very focused on pre-prohibition cocktails, so very simple, very standard ones. Um, but he, one of the things that I really enjoy about his um, about his channel is that he's very focused also on fundamentals of bartending. So which drinks should be shaken, which drinks should be stirred, and why. Um, basically, I, I love making cocktails, but I also just love the details of things. <laughs> and Absolutely. so one of the things about watching his videos are, one, I've, I've learned a ton about, um, about new cocktails to make, stuff like that, uh, but also just about, again, the fundamentals. Which bar tools to have, which, you know, what 
what to use for different drinks. Um, it's been a lot of fun. I also think he's very fun and uplifting and talks a lot about just like the history of those cocktails. Um, and so what, what things were like in the, you know, 1940s when <laughs> this cocktail was invented and who, you know, who, who invented it, where it came from. Um, and so a lot of the history of the alcohol as well. So I don't think this is going to be a recommendation for everybody, but I have had a lot of fun um, watching Andrews Erickson. Well, let me tell you, it's definitely a recommendation for me. I, I'm not a big drinker, but I do love, like you said, like the details of making like a perfect cocktail. Yeah. Um, what has been your favorite cocktail of his that you've made so far? My favorite cocktail that that I've learned from him has been uh, something called the Rusty Nail. It's the it's one of the simplest cocktails ever. It is um, like a blended scotch. I use Monkey Shoulder and Drambuie, um, which is a also like a Scottish honey liqueur, which is mm. fantastic. And it's just those two things, and it is makes a very deep beautiful, sweet cocktail that I absolutely love. No garnishes, nothing else? I usually garnish it with a little bit of lemon, but um, it doesn't need it. Got it. You know, Lucas, here's something interesting about our friendship is that I don't think we've ever drank together because... That's probably true. (laughs) When we were, when we knew each other in person in the same city, we were at a Christian university where neither of us, I was not doing that much. And we were, or if we did, we weren't in the same circles. Um, what's your go-to like liquor? What's your go-to drink at a bar? Yeah, I, I like a whiskey. I think one of the things for me is I don't, um, have a lot of vermouth because vermouth needs to be refrigerated and there's Mm. a time period that that thing is, uh, good. And so I don't usually buy things that expire because, yeah, oh yeah. Always Hold refrigerate on. On your second. vermouth when you open it. <laughs> like like it expires? It expires, yes. Well, it, vermouth, vermouth goes back. out of my liquor cabinet. <laughs> How long Literally the first time hurry. Okay. Uh, years. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You need to toss that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't ever use it, so that's why right, it's never exactly. been a problem. And, and that's, that's that's kind of my go-to. When I go to people's house, I always check to see if they have vermouth. Because <laughs> it's something that nobody ever tells you, but you have yeah. to refrigerate vermouth. Now, okay. once it's in the refrigerator and once it's open, it can sit for about two months. But after that, you got to get rid of it. Wow. Because of that, <laughs> I don't buy a lot of vermouth, and okay. that means that when I'm out, when I go to a um, a bar, I want to have a drink with vermouth in it, because that's not something that I can make at home, usually. Um, so I love a Manhattan. Um, whiskey is my go-to, pr- preferably bourbon. Um, so some kind of ver- bourbon, uh, bourbon vermouth base. So, gotcha. Yeah. I am a, a gin girl. Yeah. I- any kind of cocktail with gin in it. If if I'm at just like a bar I'm not familiar with, I'll just get a gin and tonic. Yeah. But yeah. If, if it's at a place that has like specialty cocktails, I'll find whatever has gin and like good florals, like lavender, you know, yeah. is my yeah. all-time favorite. Yeah. Gin is my go-to summertime drink for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. Um, You know, on TikTok, I recently just discovered the concept of a freezer door cocktail. Are you familiar with this? No. Okay, I found a couple of videos. I will send them to you. And it's of this guy who, his idea of what a freezer door cocktail is, is you take a bottle of liquor, you pour some of it, like, out or, like, to a, you know, outside of the bottle. And so there's room in the bottle. And basically you add in some of the mixers required for a cocktail into the bottle of tequila or, mm. you know, whatever. Yeah, just and then pre-batch you it. The, 
Exactly. And you store the whole thing in the freezer so that whenever you want to serve that cocktail, you just pull it out of your freezer and pour it into a glass. Nice. That is convenient. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's, I was like, wow, what a concept. Yeah, I like it. (laughs) Um, Last thing I want to say is that when you said Anders Ericsson's YouTube channel, (laughs) my immediate reaction was like, here's another survivalist Lucas is hooked on. (laughs) The name Anders and YouTube. It's true. It's very true. Yes. No, no. (laughs) What man in the woods has Lucas become enamored with? Yes. No. This is very much not a man of the woods. Very much a man of the city. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Um, well, speaking of people who are of the city, yes. um, what I'm feeling this week is a very classic Sandra pick that I predict you will have zero interest in. <laughs> um, that is the Bravo series Summer House. Um, so I watch a lot of Bravo. I watch almost all of the Real Housewives franchises, um, and that takes up quite a bit of time. Um, the, in addition to that, there's a show called Vanderpump Rules that's kind of a sort of a spinoff of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, but, you know, it, only in that they share a main character. Um, and, and I was pretty set with that grouping of shows. And Bravo has a ton of other shows that I've always kind of viewed as like a lower level. You know, like they have the Southern Charm. They have, a, I think they have a bunch of, I think it's called Married to Medicine, um, Shaws of Sunset, and one of them is called Summer House. And all of these, I'm like, Ugh, I can't, I can't handle taking on more of my plate. These don't look as great as The Real Housewives. But recently, um, I decided to give Summer House a try. And here's the main reason for that. First, let me tell you what Summer House is about. It is the concept of Summer House is that a group of professional, young, active New Yorkers. Um, during the summer, they work in the city during the week and they go to the Hamptons each weekend. Um, and they all share a house together. And I think that's like a thing that a lot of, you know, New Yorkers who have money, but not enough money to own a house in the Hamptons do. Right. So it followed this group of friends doing that. And unlike a real housewives or Vanderpump rules where we're following this group of people at scheduled times, like a bunch of them meet up for a lunch or there's a party that they all go to. So the cameras show up. Summer house is cameras nonstop for the weekend, every weekend in the summer. Um, cameras throughout the entire house that they're living in. Every room has a camera. Um, cameras, of course, like camera operators throughout the parties and things. So, it has this like very different energy in that it is still about like a group of friends and it's very incestual. A lot of them have all dated each other or they're continually flirting and hooking up with each other. But the element of sort of the big brother element of there's cameras everywhere, I think sets it up, um, makes it unique. So that's like the general premise. Now the reason I dove into Summer House after kind of avoiding it for so many years is because Two of the leads of the show, um, you know, these reality shows start with an original cast and then people fall off and a lot of new people are added throughout the years. Two of the leads that have been on there from season one, they just finished filming. They, they've had six seasons out so far. Recently got engaged to each other after being best friends through all of these years. Wow. And... Let me tell you, the romance lover in me, that is like (laughs) such a a hook. You know, two people that have been in 
close best friends for years and years, not realizing that they're the loves of each other's lives as they hook up with tons of other people and fall in and out of bad relationships, finally finding each other and getting engaged. Sandra Um, Catnip. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, So I started watching primarily to like watch their love story unfold. And what I didn't expect is that I would become addicted to this show. It's so, so good and fun. Yeah, I'm having a blast. I've gotten my closest friend Linda addicted to it as well. My recommendation for anyone who has never seen Summer House is to start with season three. I think that's a key thing in any Bravo show is knowing what season to start with (laughs) because the early seasons can be kind of tough. Season one and two, I think, are very unwatchable. Season three, though, is where it gets really good and it just gets better every season. Last season, I'm watching season six right now. Season five was filmed in 2020 during the first year of the pandemic. And so instead of them going to the city and then going back to the summer house every weekend, they had to all quarantine in the summer house together for six weeks. And it was madness. It was, <laughs> it, it was a, it was a cursed house. It was just, um, a terror and yeah. fascinating to watch. Now, how young are these people? It varies. The youngest person I think that is, that was currently, on the house was 24, but most of them are in their, like, early to mid-30s. Okay. Late 20s, early to mid-30s. Yeah, um, that makes sense. I think the oldest person is, like, 38-ish. Okay. Um, a lot yeah. of, like, 38-year-old guys dating, like, 28-year-old yeah. girls, yeah. you know? Yeah, I, was, yeah. I, w- I wasn't going to expect the 38-year-old was a woman, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but that's also a really interesting part about the show is that, like, One of the women on the show is, like, on the older... I mean, she's not old. She's, like, 34, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But compared to, like, some of the other girls in the show, she's on the older side. And um, it's very interesting because some of these girls are, like, I don't want to be tied down. I want to be single. I want to, like, be living my life in New York City. And the the girl who's 34 is, like, I want to get married. I want to have babies. I'm, like... I'm stressed about, like, finding the one, you know? Yeah. And um, so it's an interesting, like, dichotomy between the two. And um, another thing that really makes this show stand out is I'm so used to Vanderpump Rules, which is another, like, group of 20-something, 30-something friends, you know, like, all kind of hooking up with each other. But Vanderpump Rules is set in L.A. And, like, all of those people are servers in a restaurant trying to become musicians, models, actors, stars, you know, or Mm -hmm. just famous people, essentially. Um, Bartenders, restaurant servers, that's like the area that we're focusing on. The summer house people are so much more like driven and ambitious because they're New Yorkers. They're PR people, sales reps, um, a lot of models, but like, Everyone who's a model is like a model slash nurse or a model slash chef or a model slash (laughs) jewelry maker, hockey coach. Like they all, you know, no one's just a model. They all have a million businesses and, and they're very driven people. Yeah. Um, so that's a fun change of pace. Yeah. That's interesting. It is definitely a different crowd. Yeah. Very much so. Um, well, that's what I'm feeling this week. Let's move on to one of our favorite segments, In or Out, where we talk about some recent trailers that have been released, and we decide whether we are in or out on seeing that movie when it comes out. 
What's it gonna be? Consider carefully. Are you in? talk about is from the infamous M. Night Shyamalan, <laughs> Knock at the Cabin, um, starring, let's see here, Jonathan Groff, Dave Bautista, Rupert Grint. Um, I think that's really it. Yeah, those are the big ones. Um, this is an ominous trailer, of course it is, from M. Night Shyamalan, <laughs> that shows a, a, a gay couple with seemingly an adopted daughter adopted daughter who um go to a cabin in the woods um on a vacation and they are um surprised by four menacing strangers who tie them up um and explain that they are here to prevent the apocalypse um and it's you know unclear on like what that actually means um Lucas, what did you think of this trailer? I thought it was a really good trailer. Um, I am very interested in Dave Bautista taking interesting roles. Um, Absolutely. I think he's someone who, like, is interested in being, like, an actor. He's not interested in being The Rock. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I think he just picks very interesting things to do. So I am in or out a lot of the times on, on M. Night Shyamalan. It's it's kind of hit or miss for me. I haven't seen his recent movie, Old. Um mm-hmm. This one, it depends on how horror it is. If it's more thriller than horror, I will see it. But if this is full horror, I'm right. out. So what Shyamalan movies have you seen and how did you feel about them? I've seen all the old ones. Okay. <laughs> you know, all of yeah. the, I guess, original run. <laughs> yeah. Signs, Sixth Sense. Yeah. Um, his Bruce Willis ones. I even saw Split. Okay. Um Yeah. The, I guess did the you only see, one. The, what's the pl- what's the plants one? I, I did not see the plants one. No. Okay. No, I've not seen that. Um, and then I haven't seen. I haven't seen. So basically, his last couple. Um, okay. I haven't seen. Um, mostly because I've heard they weren't good. Not because I felt like they were going to be too scary. <laughs> so did, did old look too scary for you, or just not good? Old just looked not good to me. Okay. Um, I felt like it could be scary, but from what I heard, it wasn't that scary. It was just bad. So I never got around to it. Okay. Um, I agree. I think this is a really great trailer, but that's never been his problem, right? His trailers have always (laughs) been fascinating. Um, this, I, I don't really watch his movies. I mean, I don't, I've seen, I've seen signs and I've seen Sixth Sense. Um, and that's a, and the, the plants one. And Mm -hmm. I, and I remember Sixth Sense being at the age I saw it incredibly terrifying, Mm -hmm. but good. Um, and so this trailer I guess the biggest compliment that I can give this trailer is that it was so good that I had to um, look up the source material, which is a novel, and read a plot summary of that novel so that I could just know what happens <laughs> in it. <laughs> um, and so yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm interested. To, I, I hope it is good because I think he's a fascinating filmmaker. Yeah. And um, yeah, but these, this is not my kind of movie. Ultimately, yeah. yeah. I really think you would enjoy Unforgiven. Yeah. I think that's okay. uh, I think that is his best movie. Um it's beautifully shot and um it is a an interesting I think take on the idea of superheroes mm-hmm. uh kind of before the big superhero boom. So. Yeah. One thing I will say about this trailer, like you said, I I love Dave Bautista taking on interesting roles. 
I also am just a huge Jonathan Groff yeah, fan. Yeah, yeah. And so how, Jonathan Groff getting to do horror, Jonathan Groff getting to do anything, I'm really on board with, and I hope he has a great time. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um. Okay, so the next movie trailer that we're going to talk about is from Alejandro Inaritu, his latest film, which is called Bardo, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths. It is, I believe it's a Netflix film that's coming out this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, t- here's, here's what I want to say before we start talking about this trailer. <laughs> um, I never, I didn't know that this was a movie that was coming. I didn't know anything that it was about. Um, before you saw the trailer, did you know what this movie was about? Did you hear about this movie? Yes, I had heard okay. about this movie. Um, this movie had played at, I think, TIFF. Um, and I knew that um, on your under, ooh, Alejandro Inuritu, um was working on uh, basically his Roma. <laughs> okay. Um, so because I came into this pretty unaware, yeah. I started this trailer. And I would say 25% of the way through, I was like, wow. I mean, this is gorgeous. It's, you know, I, I, I'm really engaged. Everything is so beautiful. And then about 50% of the way through, I had to stop watching it because <laughs> I was so bored because I have no idea what this movie is about from yeah. this trailer. Yeah. And then I fin- I ultimately finished the trailer. And this may be just like an indictment of me and my short attention span <laughs> and me like I'm a dumb American and like, you know, yeah. I don't have taste. But uh, for me to engage with a trailer... Either the visuals have to be so arresting that I don't need to fully understand what the plot is, or you need to give me a hint about what the plot is going to be. Just a hint. I don't need a lot. You know, I don't need, I don't like trailers that spell everything out, but like, give me something to grab onto. Yeah. And this does not do that. It definitely doesn't. I did not like this trailer. I think I'm also... Like I said, he's making his version of Roma. And I think I'm just over people, um, usually men later in their movie career, (laughs) making Mm -hmm. their, uh, looking back at their area or their era of childhood, you know, exploring their, uh, how they got to be where they are kind of situation. Mm -hmm. That is something that is just, it can be good. And I'm not saying I'm fully uninterested in it. I just feel like everyone's doing it. <laughs> we've we got have, we've got Steven Spielberg doing the Fablemans right, as, as well. We've got Roma. We've got Is Roma. There any others? Uh, we've got uh, Sam Mendes is doing Empire of Light this year. Okay. Um, oh, what was that one that Jamie Dornan's? Yes, uh, Belfast. Yes, yeah, that, Belfast. Yeah. Right. Um, that that fits in that category as well. And I just think like those things are more sentimental than good. <laughs> I thought Roma was the perfect mix of both. Um, but I feel like everything that's kind of followed it has been, I want to make a Roma, not necessarily like I have a good story to tell. It's like, mm-hmm. I want to reflect on my upcoming, uh, now not saying all of them are going to be bad. I think they'll, they'll actually, most of them will probably be, be good, but this one I was, I watched the trailer and I was like, I'm kind of done. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't like the look of this <laughs> at all. So. Um, I had to go to IMDb to figure out what this movie is going to be about. And it says follows a renowned Mexican journalist and documentary filmmaker who returns home and works through an existential crisis as he grapples with his identity, familial relationships and the folly of his memories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and it looks gorgeous. I like, I, I'm trying to think of what of his films I've actually seen. I've seen, of course, Birdman. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I'm trying to think if I've seen anything yeah. else, to be quite honest. I have seen The Revenant, um, uh, Birdman, and I, I've seen Babel, which yeah. a, it's a terrible movie to watch on a plane to Morocco. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, but I think what I like, I, I guess how I feel about Inuritu is his movies are beautiful um, and I think very well constructed and um, I think not very deep and engaging for me. Mm. So I appreciate a lot of his movies more than I enjoy a lot of his movies. So I feel like that that doesn't uh, <laughs> that doesn't help me my interest sure. in Bardo. Sure, um, but I'm glad to at least now be aware of it. Yeah, there you go. All right, are you ready to talk about a movie that has has had so many people talking about it? Don't worry, darling. Can't wait. I'm coming home. I'm on home. Coming home, maybe not. You know I'm praying every night. And everything is gonna be fine. Come on. Coming home, baby, now. I want to feel you hold me tight. Expect to see me now anytime. When I'm in your arms. You're in my arms, I'll be fine. I'm coming home. Here's what I want to start off by saying. (laughs) This movie has been in, in conversation for, you know, usually movies are in conversation, like, right before they come out. There's a lot of press about them. The actors are all doing press. There's a lot of, you know, um, interest. But this movie has been discussed, I mean, I remember since it was in production, there has been gossip about this movie. And the gossip train has just, like, barreled on mm-hmm. since then. How much of the Don't Worry Darling press cycle... Were you invested in? Were you annoyed by? What was your What was your take on all of that? Now you know you know that I do not do drama. It's right. just not my not my thing. Yeah. Um, I was a hundred percent on every piece of drama about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, every conversation, well, every interview, every snafu, <laughs> I was there for. Yeah. Yeah. Loved it. it Loved was, it. Loved it. I, here's the thing. I mean. I don't want to spoil my immediate reaction to this movie, but I will because we're we're just about to get to it. The drama surrounding this movie is so much more interesting than the movie itself. For sure. um, In my opinion. (laughs) And I'm almost happy that the movie isn't as good as the drama because the drama was so fun. Um, And yeah, I... I, I want more stories about the making of this film that I, I'm sure will come out like in years and years to come. Um, it, it's really interesting how much, you know, and the controversy, here's what I like about the don't worry darling drama is that it's pretty low stakes, super you know? low stakes. Yes. That's what makes it fun. Mm-hmm. You know, so many, you know, uh, Olivia, Olivia, um, Wilde did a interview with Stephen Colbert recently, um, kind of like the a few days before the movie came out, <laughs> where they kind of recapped a lot of the drama. And um, basically, one of the things that they both kind of pointed out, start Stephen Colbert started to part out and that she agreed with, was that they were kind of pointing out that this issue of sexism, that so many male directors get away with so many horrors on their set and it's never brought up mm-hmm. and all of these things are being brought up because Olivia Wilde's a woman. Yeah. Which I, which I understand. Yeah. But I, I do think what that take misses out on is that so many of these things are being brought up and, and are gaining so much, you know, 
uh, chatter is because, like, low stakes gossip is so fun. It's so fun to talk about drama that doesn't involve sexual assault or, or, (laughs) you know, a director, like abusing their actors you know like or (laughs) it's so much fun to like have that this version versus what we're used to whenever there is a scandal on a set agreed another thing that was really interesting about this movie is um hold on think uh, i think you agree with me on this is that the trailer is such a it's so good it's a very good trailer yes it really hooks you one it's it's glamorous it's interesting it has all your favorite actors it's like chris pine florence Pugh, and then harry styles is like making his debut as a lead in a film it's it's there's so much to look at it's so exciting so expectations were set pretty high by the trailer and then all of this buzz surrounding this film the buzz didn't necessarily i think set expectations high as much as it just put a lot of attention onto a film that might not have had this much attention previously mm-hmm. All of that to say, how did you feel after finally having seen Don't Worry Darling? I think this is a bad movie. <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed watching this movie, though, I think is where I'm at. I think okay. it took me a while to figure out how I thought about it because the expectation that the movie sets is not what it delivers on. And so yeah. um, I think I've got a ton of questions about this movie. But overall, I think to me, what it all falls apart in the story mm-hmm. um, and the execution of that story and what it's trying to say. Um, but the casting, perfect. The cinematography, perfect. The production design, perfect. The music, perfect. No notes on, I would say, most of the things that it takes to put a movie together. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is really impressive to me. I think also the tone. I think one of the things that Olivia Wilde does really well is understand the tone that she's going for and really lean into that. Now, is that tone correct for the story that's being told? Maybe, maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) It actually depends on what the story is, which I still am not entirely sure of. Yeah. But I think a lot of those things come together really well to make the experience enjoyable. Um, I think this is the best use of Nick Kroll, you know, ever. I think yeah. he's fantastic in this movie. I mean, he doesn't have a massive part, but I just think like the 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 idea of putting Nick Kroll in a in a role like this, I was just like, ah, oh, man. Every time he's on the screen, I'm like, this is perfect. This is exactly what I want you to be doing. <laughs> um, I also think like Olivia Wilde has a an idea of how to uh, kind of frame conversations in interesting ways. Um, mm. So there's a one t- situation where she's spinning the camera around two circles of conversations very early in the mo- movie. A, 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 lot of, a lot of the women are in a circle having conversation and the men are in a circle having conversation. And there are two circles that are right beside each other. And a lot of times you would cut back and forth between the two conversations and she's just spinning the camera around both of the conversations um, to where you're cutting back and forth between them, but all kind of in one shot. I think it's an interesting approach. I think it, um, it kind of sets the mood and feels like a big gathering where you have these kind of smaller um, conversations happening. Stuff like that I felt like is really, really great and very interesting. I just wish... <laughs> Um, the story had been good. Now, we haven't talked about the kind of the story drama around this at all, have we? Um, what do you mean by that? The screenplay stuff. So No, not at all. Okay, so this is a screenplay 
uh, written by the Van Dyke brothers, which are the grandsons of Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, this, uh, that screenplay was on the blacklist, ranked very high in the blacklist. Olivia Wilde bought it and worked with her screenwriter, um, who worked with her on Booksmart, Katie Silberman, to rewrite it, punch it up, make it what, what Olivia Wilde wants. Um, on this press tour, she's been talking a lot about her writing this movie. <laughs> mm. Um, she doesn't have a writing credit and I fully believe that she's involved in it, but she's been talking about this as if she bought a piece of IP and mm. has created this movie around this piece of IP. Interesting. Um, which is just an, an interesting uh, framing <laughs> to talk about buying a script and uh, punching it up. <laughs> sure. Um, and so after watching the movie, I was very interested in seeing, like, okay, well, like, what did you do? And so I went back and I read the the Van Dyke's original script for this. And uh, most of this we'll have to talk about in spoilers, but I would love to talk sure. a little bit about the differences between what they wrote versus what this movie turned out to be. <laughs> oh, I so. cannot wait to have that conversation. Um, yeah. Before we get there, I, I want to give my kind of brief take on this before, because we're gonna have so much to talk about in spoilers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, this is one of the most hollow movies I've ever seen. Yeah. A everything you see in the trailer, it's like, that's as much substance as you're getting, pretty much. Yeah. Is the movie gives away every, every, almost every sinister moment is given away in the trailer. All, st I mean, it's the definition of style over substance. There's so much effort put into the style of this film, the the costumes, the sets, the, the music, the the glimmer, the gleam. And so it seemingly so little thought into what this movie's trying to say, what this story is, what's going on in the in the plot yep. of the movie. <laughs> um it's it's baffling to me how little there is in this movie and how confusing this movie is. And I don't mean confusing plot wise, although it is that as well. I mostly mean confusing about like, what do you, what were you trying to do here? What were you trying to say? What were you trying to, uh, what was your, what's the point? What is the point of this movie? Yeah. And um, I, I also, I, to that point, I, I want to say that like, not every movie has to have like a deep um, sure. point, but when you are making a mystery thriller, and really I would say this is a social a social thriller, <laughs> is what it's trying to be. Yeah. Then you do have to have a point. <laughs> you have to yeah. be making some kind of comment on society. And, I mean, this movie is clearly trying to do that. Yeah. If it wasn't trying to do that, I wouldn't be so harsh about right. it. And not only that, but it's olivia wilde in the press has been very clear about like that that's what she's trying to do with this movie that this is trying to be like a feminist um you know film and it's not anti-feminist it's not a sexist film i don't think um but it doesn't seem to be making its argument well can, can i jump in and say something from the a quote from her from that colbert interview yes please. is one of the things that she said is this is a movie about who is brave enough to um stand up to a society that benefits them okay <laughs> that is what she said the movie is about that's very interesting to me it is and so i'm curious to like as we kind of talk through this movie to see where that 
comes through, like her just saying that to me makes no sense to me. <laughs> yeah. Because it's not what the movie is at all. So. It, it makes it honestly, it sheds a little bit more light for me. Yeah. I don't think that is smart or good that that was the. Uh, it, I don't think it works. No. But it does clarify some things for me. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Wow. This. I mean, I'm I'm so ready for us to talk about spoilers just because there's so much to talk about. But one thing I want to say before we get there is that, like you mentioned, um, there's I have a lot of issues with this film. <laughs> what I don't have an issue with is. A lot of the performances by small, some of the yes. smaller side characters. Yep. I agree with you. Nick Kroll is so good in this movie. Yeah. I am a Nick Kroll stan. I adore him. Um, but he's fantastic in this. Um, I'm also a big fan of Kate Berlant. Mm-hmm. I loved every moment that she got in this film. Yep. Um, as well as like her, you know, scene partner Asif Ali. I think he didn't get a lot to do, but he was great when he did. Um, also, what I will say is that Olivia Wilde as an actress in this film, yeah, I was so amazed by. Definitely, it made me want to go and like watch other things that she's been in because she's so good. And then I looked up what other things yeah, she's been in yeah, and I'm like, Oh, yeah. maybe, maybe I can't do that. <laughs> but you know what I do want to rewatch now after seeing this, um, is drinking buddies mm. with her yeah. and, um, who else is it? What's his name? Uh, um, yeah. Nick from new girl. Exactly. I'm blanking on his name at the moment. Me too. Um, yeah, that movie looks I remember liking that movie a lot. Mm-hmm. And now after like seeing this performance of hers, she was so good. Yeah. Oh, she was so good. It's, and it was just so it, frustrating to be so in awe of her as yeah. an actress and so frustrated with her as a director. She's going to be in, in Babylon, the Damien Chazelle right. movie that we talked about. That's so really exciting. I'm excited to see her in that. There's a, there's a movie that I saw at Sundance, um, called how it ends which is this like incredibly low budget quarantine movie that was made Mm -hmm. that is very bad but (laughs) she has a one small scene in it and she's so good like (laughs) it almost made the watching that movie worth it because she's so good in this one scene yeah Yeah. um yeah i I was astonished um I think I, I'm right there with you. Um, I think, obviously, like, people have talked about this before, but Florence Pugh and Chris Pine just blow it out of the water. Like, they are so good in this movie. Um, but I am so impressed with, like you said, everyone else <laughs> in these smaller parts. So here's my thing about Florence Pugh and Chris Pine. I don't think they're bad in this movie by any means. But this might be a, a, a case of they're both always so good. Mm, yeah that to me this these performances might have been a little phoned in oh interesting yeah like i feel like i've seen both of them do this before i I wasn't my 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 focus wasn't on either like i wasn't wowed by either of them and now that is i think because they set such high bars like I think that's a compliment to them that like their their bar they set is so high that even when they're doing really great work um, that just feels so normal to me. Yeah. Um, but that was my takeaway from this film. To me, I think they are doing a lot of work because they both have nothing characters. Um, who yeah. <laughs> they turn into actual characters that you want to understand and, and, uh, yeah. learn more about. Um, 
Unlike I, unlike Harry Styles, who I feel like <laughs> also has a little bit of a nothing character. But I don't think he's as bad as everybody has been talking about. I don't think so either. Do I think he was ready to lead a film? <sighs> no. No. <Yeah. laughs> no. And especially not this film. No. No. Um, of course he wasn't ready for this movie. But I don't, I didn't, in his scenes, I wasn't upset or thinking, I didn't think he was awful. Not at all. Um, I, I think some people have pointed out that an, a better actor could have made this movie that is so frustrating feel a little bit more like complete. Yeah. I agree. And I agree with that. Definitely. I also think when every one of your scenes is against Florence Pugh or Chris Pine, it's just not going to go as well. So, and there, there were parts when I thought he was actually very good. Yeah. Um, not throughout the whole film, yeah. but like there was, there were certain scenes where I was like, okay, he works, the casting makes sense in this scene mm-hmm. and in a lot of scenes it doesn't yeah. make sense. Yeah. Um, I think the, the Florence Pugh, I do think is very good in this, but Chris Pine's character, he really doesn't have much to work with. And so I think that is a lot of where my frustration comes. Doesn't he sell what he has though? Like, I mean, <laughs> He's an again, he's a nothing burger of a character sure. for sure. But sure. I feel I really feel like he he does a great job with so little, just nothing. Yeah. I think ultimately I want my villains, I want to be afraid of my villains. And uh, there wasn't enough um edge there for me to actually like be invested in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um I'm so ready to talk about. I mean, we have a million things. To so talk many, about so many things. In the spoiler yeah. section for this. Let's do uh, it. Are you ready to do that? Let's do it. Okay. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Are you paying attention? It's your last chance to walk away. Let me tell you what's going to happen. No, crack and gas. Spoilers. Remember, you wanted this. So here's my question: What does Harry Styles' character want in this movie? Uh, okay, that's the, that's a big issue. <laughs> his character, so right. So let's let's talk this out. So his the real version of his character is like a out of work, kind of like aimless husband. Mm-hmm. It seems who who goes down the incel track. Who yeah, who becomes obsessed with like this with Chris like, Pine's inc- podcast. <laughs> Chris Pine's podcast. Here's another thing. I knew going into this movie that Chris Pine was supposed to be a Jordan Peterson like yeah. stand in. I mean, he's not though. That's the that's like, one of the problems. Like <laughs> This is nothing like Jordan Peterson. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um and I oh, I'm just so I I I'm honestly at a loss for words because my mind is racing with so many things that we have to discuss. Yeah. Um yeah, what he wants is he wants the, the movie is trying to present is that he like wants to be closer to his wife. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. But that's not what these men want. No. And that's, that's and that's not what he's doing either. Like by going down this path, He's not necessarily being closer to his wife. Except, I mean, I think he is, right? Like, the whole, I mean, his whole thing is, because I've done this to us, when it, it used to be we had no time together, we you didn't want to have sex with me, we were not close, and now I, in our time together, we have sex all the time, we laugh, we go to parties, we're happy. Yeah. 
Yeah, I guess that's true. Let's uh, here. Here's one thing that's been really confounding me: the way sex is used in this movie. <laughs> so Olivia Wilde in the press has like made a big stink about how like she really wants to depict female pleasure and how there are no male orgasms in this movie. Now, aside from this film, that is a cause I can champion. You know, mm-hmm. um, I actually think Olivia Wilde. I really am interested in her takes on sex, sensuality, like erotic filmmaking. Mm-hmm. I, I I think even like Booksmart, which was mostly a comedy, it wasn't like, you know, full of sex. Yeah. But the sex scenes in Booksmart, I thought were so well handled and interesting. Mm-hmm. And she has a really good grip on female desire. Um, and so I want her to like really focus on that and and head in that direction. But in this movie, it makes no sense at all. Yeah. It makes no sense that these like incel guys that are, you know, trapping their wives and strapping them to beds to live a life of service and pleasure for them would be like, oh yeah, all I'm gonna do in, in this virtual reality world is like go down on you for hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. I think it gets back to the idea that like she doesn't really connect, I think, with this story at all. Yeah. Like there's things that she's interested in and that doesn't really overlap with the story, which makes it extremely confusing. It also just seems like uh, I'm, I don't want to profess myself to be a great understander of the incel community. I, yeah. I don't believe yeah. that I am. <laughs> um, but she clearly does not understand, like, no. the mindset or the motivation of this type of man. Mm-hmm. Because this world with being filled with those type of men makes no sense at all. Yeah. It just feels like, like, okay, let's let's get into some of, like, the actual, like, questions that i have about how all of this works like the actual plot of it works yeah um i do want to say real quick we should yeah, set please. up what this movie is because we didn't actually say say that yeah, in the so spoiler for, section for the people who aren't going to go see this movie exactly and, like, exactly figured out yeah the, the beginning of the movie is it's set in a 1950s 1960s-esque town called victory that's in the middle of the desert and victory seems to be the name of the company and the town it's like this all-inclusive you know utopia of where all the men go to work for the same company during the day all of the women stay home they cook they clean they shop they go to the pool and then their husbands all come out come home at the same time every day where they all, you know, go to dinner parties and have sex with each other. You know, the husbands have sex with their wives and it's very glamorous um, and all very, you know, old fashioned. Mm -hmm. And there's another character named Margaret played by Kiki Lane, who apparently a lot of her role and her character's husband were cut out of the film, um, which is, is clear because it's confusing everything that happens <laughs> with her character. But her character is kind of being shunned because she seems to be kind of losing her mind and saying, like, everything is not as it seems here. Mm-hmm. Lawrence Pugh's character sees is out and about. She sees a plane crash in the desert where all the wives are not allowed to go. Um, she runs into the desert to try to 
figure out what happened. She sees headquarters. And after seeing headquarters, she is starting to like have visions and be suspicious of everything going on in the town. Um, she kind of calls out the CEO, which is played by Chris Pine, who's like the creepy cult leader of the town. Um, when she does that, she gets like taken away and abducted again from the town. And then we get a flashback where we find out that um, Florence Pugh was a person that existed in like 2022. <laughs> and she's married to Harry Styles' character, who is also a person who exists in 2022. She's a successful surgeon. He's kind of like an out-of-work, grungy loser. And he has become obsessed with a Jordan Peterson-esque podcast and signs them up for this project where basically she is strapped to a bed and attached to a virtual reality machine. And she lives in this virtual reality world like without her consent. And he visits the virtual reality world, you know, for like half the day each day. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, so that's, like, the main plot yeah. of the film. Now, it took me just explaining that whole plot to Rebecca for me to say, okay, there's some interesting stuff here. Because <laughs> I came out of the movie just kind of yeah. mind mind boggled a little bit. But I just sat down and was like, all right, here's the whole story. And I was like, okay, you could do something interesting with this. Let me tell you. <laughs> what I was really hoping – now, I didn't – I wasn't spoiled for that twist no. um, yeah. going into this movie. But – when people were like, it's so bad, all the reviews were like, this movie's awful. Part of me was really hoping that this was going to be a case of one of my favorite films, <laughs> Serenity. Yeah. Where yeah. like everyone's, yeah. it's like, everyone's it's so video bad. Game. And I loved it, you know? Mm -hmm. Now, it was like Serenity in that it has this like twist that it's all like a video game, essentially. Mm -hmm. But however, I did not. It, it does not have the energy of Serenity or, like, the interesting questions or... It, Serenity is, like, bonkers and it knows it's bonkers. This movie does not realize that it's bonkers. Um, and that is to its detriment. Yeah. Um, do you feel like we are supposed to think that they are actually in the 1950s throughout think, most of this movie? Right. I think that's... Here's what I was expecting the twist to be was like I expected them to be all brainwashed in some way mm -hmm. and that like this was like a you know a dome situation this is the village another yeah. another night Shyamalan situation exactly. yeah yeah this was like a dome that they were all trapped in that yeah like the, it's not actually the 1950s yeah. yeah i thought that as well i thought it was so weird that we were the whole time we were acting like this was normal like the movie itself says this is this is it. We spend so much time with Florence Pugh not really working to figure this out. Yeah. Um and I think that's one like I wish we had been we hadn't been ahead of her. Like we know something's weird. Um and when she figures out something weird, when something's weird, we know kind of like who's to blame, you know? Like from the get-go, we're like, well obviously it's Chris Pine. <laughs> yeah. Obviously the men are doing some weird stuff and uh but she doesn't have this like in a mystery thriller like this, the main character, once their eyes are opened to the weirdness of the world, they will um do some investigating. <laughs> there is zero investigating in this movie 
there is just her complaining to everyone around her that yeah. things are weird, right? Right. <laughs> like, that's it. And the the movie spends so much time on the buildup mm-hmm. of Florence Pugh feels weird. Yeah. And it's it just feels like someone sat down at a table and they thought, what are creepy shots? Yes. What is a shot that we could do that would feel creepy? And they made a list, and then they thought, okay, we're going to work through this list with no consideration for what that means for this world, <laughs> yeah. or what that means for the story, yeah. or the characters. We're just going to make sure that like we check off all these visuals, and then we'll be you know three-fourths the way through the movie, and then we will yeah. reveal a yeah. twist. <laughs> uh, the other thing that I feel like I'm, I wasn't sure what we were supposed to feel about was... Are we supposed to believe that Harry Styles is on her side for most of this movie? Okay, here's here's where I think this movie could have been so interesting. The Harry Styles character. So here's here's where I think, okay, I'm I'm so jazzed up about this. Yes. <laughs> We're talking about like incels, right? Yeah. These men that feel inadequate and they think that the source of that inadequacy is feminism Mm -hmm. and that if we can just go back to a simpler time where men are in charge that i will feel better about myself right yeah um i and i think that there are different types of these men there are men that are that have been raised with like some pretty gross values and so that this really aligns with their value system right Mm mm-hmm I then also think that there are men that may not have been raised this way, but that have these feelings of inadequacy or stress or uh, anguish, and they fall victim to the messaging in these online platforms, these podcasts, these, you know, Reddit chant threads, whatever. And they become brainwashed, seduced. Yeah, and I think it's very tragic. I think we see this happening with, like, there are these, like, teen boys that have, like, these, like, kind of normal families, and all of a sudden, they become these, like, awful, like, alt-right people, Mm -hmm. you know? So what I do think you could tell an interesting story about a character like Harry Styles' character, who may have just been, like, a normal guy that got seduced by this, but deep down like loves his wife and feels conflicted about everything. Yep. Harry Styles is not a talented enough actor to do that with as little information as there was in this script. <laughs> yeah. And this script did not spend enough time developing any of that. Yeah. I 100% agree. I think if you had done this movie as something weird is going on here and we're in this together and she is trying to figure it out but thinks mm-hmm. – he is on her side and we see the support we we think they're together and right. the twist is almost like uh like nope where yeah. oh the supportive uh you know partner is actually in on Wait, the whole thing you mean get out what did i say nope, nope. yeah get out yeah. <laughs> not a twist in nope <laughs> yeah i was like they were in it together they yes were, yeah. Like, yeah. nobody betrayed each other and no, nope. no 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 and get out yeah yeah, yeah. I feel like yeah, that's no, that. I feel like that's the reaction that she wanted is us to be like, "Oh my!" Right. <laughs> and really, it's just like, no. This whole time, he's been like, when he goes up and she's like, "I want to leave," and he's like, "No, I'm getting this award," like ignoring her, like all this, like the whole time you're like, he's a yeah. bad guy, like. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 
We've got to talk, though, now about what would this movie have been like if Shia LaBeouf had been in this role? Yeah. I'm not going to say so much better, but I will say I think he's right for this role. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think he has the menace to, from the get-go, you feel like there is something wrong and you to be kind of scared of him, Um, which I think would have just brought up the tension in the first half of the movie more. Yeah. Also, I feel like the where where Harry Styles really falls apart is in the um, I'm an American incel uh, deal. It's just it feels weird. It doesn't. Yeah. It's like I'm watching Harry Styles do this. Yeah. It, it's honestly it made me laugh. It's like, right. OK, we got to make Harry Styles unattractive. Yeah. What do we do? And what I do appreciate about this movie is that they understand that. You put the wrong pair of glasses on a yeah, guy. Yeah. And suddenly, I hate those ugly glasses that these men wear. They're so gross. <laughs> They're so ugly. And they really, it, it immediately makes me distrust them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel like Shia LaBeouf would have um, kind of leaned into that and really fit that part well. I don't, yeah. I don't think it helps the movie at all in any way. Here's, here's the thing is that. I have a lot of questions about the male characters in this movie. Mm-hmm. I I don't I kind of want to rewatch it just to watch all the men's performances now with yeah. knowing this twist in mind. Um the Nick Nick Kroll seems to be playing it the best. Yes. To be quite honest. I agree. Yeah. Um, you know, I think he convincingly can like is playing someone who's like really bought in to mm-hmm. all of this. And um is a little sleazy and yeah, yeah he, he's really good in this. Um, Shia LaBeouf is almost too masculine for this role. For me. <laughs> like Shia LaBeouf is like scary. Yeah, <laughs> he's, yeah. he's intimidating. I hate saying this because it sounds like I'm just being the ultimate fangirl, but I was reading some people talk about like who else could have played this role. And someone did say Andrew Garfield and, I do think that that would have been really interesting. Yeah. Um, Because I think what's good about what you need for the Harry Styles character is he is beautiful Harry Styles in a lot of these scenes, Mm -hmm. you know, where you feel seduced by like, you you believe that they want to have sex with each other all the time. Like he's, it's the the glamorous fifties. And that is something I think you, that Andrew Garfield could pull off. But I also do think Andrew could pull off like sniveling in cell really well. Yeah. Um, anyone who's seen under the silver lake, like knows that he can do that. So yeah, it's, it's an, it's an odd, it's so odd. Um, here's the other thing I want to ask about like the, the male characters in this universe. So (laughs) if they're all these incels, right. That have trapped their wives, like are holding their wives hostage. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess here's my ultimate question, and this is more about the virtual reality aspect of this movie. Florence Pugh and Harry Styles pretty much look like themselves, both inside and outside of the alternate reality, right? Yeah. Like, Harry Styles is a little grosser looking. He has, like, Mm -hmm. a beard and long hair and glasses, but, like, ultimately he looks like himself, Yeah. you know? So that makes me think that everyone looks like themselves. Correct. Inside and outside of the virtual reality. And so you're telling me that someone like Chris Pine, th- th- as handsome as Chris Pine, one, is this Jordan Peterson-esque figure. I don't believe that. Two, I don't believe that all of these, like, 
incel-y type guys have all of these women as their wives. So that was an, it's an interesting line in the, when Harry Styles is filling out the form. Uh He goes, who, they, they ask, who is your partner? He gives her name and Uh she says, are you already partners in real life? (laughs) Okay. To an extent. So you can just pick a woman, kidnap her and have her in here, which I'm assuming is part of it is part of this. <laughs> so. Yeah. And I think that's where my big issue is, is that like the twist is very interesting and I can't believe how we flew through it. Like, yeah, we spent so little time unpacking how it works and like what it means for all of these characters. Mm-hmm. We spent so much time with Florence Pugh looking in a fucking mirror yeah. and seeing her own reflection in weird, creepy ways. And so little time being like, hey, look at how scary this situation Mm -hmm. is. I think you have to spend more time unpacking this, and it has to be from Florence Pugh's perspective. Like, I think, she again, this comes back to the investigation. For us to be with her, she has to be starting to learn more about what's happening. Um, And it it doesn't have to be like you have to do a whole data dump and tell us the whole thing. But I just think, like, learning more about what is happening in this world makes more sense than in the second half of this movie spending – maybe five minutes total us learning anything about, about this. Um, And I think that that does take me back to the original script by Mm. the Van Dyke brothers um, in which she gets out of the machine and into the real world. Okay. Within the first 10 pages of the script. Oh my God. She acts it like the, the plane crash thing is not a thing, but she kind of gets out by accident. Okay. Realizes she's in a machine. And at this point, like, she's been in the machine for a while. Like, her body is... Decrepit. Decrepit. She can't really walk. Like, and the Harry Styles character is out at work or whatever. So she has the house to try and figure out that what's happening, like, where she is. She doesn't remember any of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the movie is basically her trying to sneak in and out um, to try mm-hmm. and figure out what's happening. Um also, okay. Chris Pine's character is not in the script. It's her versus her husband. And you learn so much more about their relationship. And it is truly a um, more of a character study on how does a person become like this? Where does, like, where does this happen in a relationship? And not yeah. like – it is a cult. It is a whole thing. They're in this world. But that's more dressing to this relationship between this couple, which okay. I think is a much more interesting <laughs> story. Yeah. But yeah, it's I, I, I just think like with the world building that you want to do like this and make it more of a mm-hmm. surprise at the end, um, there's just not enough story there that you've built yeah. up to be able to keep that going. Of course, watching this made me think of Mad Men, right? You mm-hmm. know, visually, yep. of course, it's but also like Mad Men did such a better job of showcasing sexism and women losing their minds in suburbia mm-hmm. with January Jones than yeah. this movie did. Yeah. Um, and it made me wonder, you know, I hate to say this because I really love movies and I want movies to thrive, but would this have been better as a series? You know, where... Because I, I I asked that one because I feel like this movie needed more time to deal to dig into like the subtleties of these relationships, 
but also because these char- these side characters were my favorite part. And it would be interesting to see the different versions of the relationships of the people that are being forced into the system. You know, yeah. we have the Florence Pugh and the Harry Styles where they're like, seemingly they do love each other, whether his like, you know, is so deeply misguided, mm-hmm. right? He seems to care about her. Um, versus like, what is that Kate Berlant, Asif Ali relationship <laughs> like where she's eternally pregnant and, you know, yeah. And obsessed with status mm-hmm. and versus also the Nick Kroll, Olivia Wilde, where they have these kids that aren't real. Yeah. And like, those are all fascinating things that I would have loved to delve deeper into. Also, what the fuck was going on with the Chris Pine, Gemma Chan of it all? Like, yeah, that's, I have absolutely no idea what happened that there. <laughs> is the most irresponsible filmmaking choice I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> To have that Gemma Chan stab him at the end, out of nowhere, no follow-up, no nope. built lead-up, just random. And say it's my turn. So it's not It's not like she's realizing what's happening and kills him out of, like, she's trapped there. It's yeah. like she's in on this and it makes no sense why or what's happening. Like, it's just, yeah. No sense at all. Yeah. That didn't make any sense. I really don't understand the plane crash. Nope. Like. That doesn't make sense at all. Doesn't make sense. Um, when she goes to headquarters the first time, I guess it's implied that she like woke up in the real world when she did that the first time, but then was fixed. Put, put back in. Like, yeah. I don't, did he put her back in? Like, this is, yeah, this because, is kind of the thing that like, if they'd followed the original script, we would have seen her wake up. We would have seen Harry Styles put her back in. And right. then that would have made a very interesting next like th- 20 minutes of her not knowing her starting to figure out some more stuff is weird, but we like, there's just so much you could do, but that section was very boring. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I don't know how, if this was supposed to be played, but at the dinner party, when it's revealed that she's gone out into the desert before Mm -hmm. Harry Styles character seems surprised. Yeah. And I don't know if he was pretending to be surprised. That was all confusing. Yeah. Uh, Also, I mean, I'm just random questions are coming into my mind right now. Like, Harry Styles at one point when they're having their conversation at the end where, like, they're both in on, like, mm-hmm. aware of what's happening. And he was like, you get to live here all day. I have to go and make money in order to keep us yeah. living here. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck kind of job does Harry Styles' character have? He couldn't have a, find a job before this. Yeah. How did he find a job now? And How one that much- could afford this. Like, it didn't yeah. seem like they were well off, you know, in their... <laughs> right. And it's also like, uh, yeah, it... It's it was so so messy. Yeah. Um. And all that to say, I think a series could have had much more to say, and that reveal could have been more interesting. Yeah. In that regard, I think you could do um, it as a series, digging into all the characters. I also just think you could do this as a movie if you just focus and figure right. out what questions you want to ask what what you actually want to talk about i do actually yeah. want to you, you mentioned the dinner table scene that was the scene yeah. i was most excited about as it was coming up um mm-hmm. because i wanted it to be her versus chris pine like i wanted it yeah. to be like he's like you figured me out like almost like a um almost like a subtle battle right. between them at the table yeah and immediately it's just her asking the same questions of, <laughs> right. don't you think this is weird, guys? <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, and let's, uh, 
I think one thing that we've been dancing around is the ultimate message, right, of this movie, this, like, feminist message, Mm -hmm. is that, like, these men want to trap these women into being subservient, being um, cooking, cleaning, being their whole lives are dedicated to their husbands. Mm -hmm. And that's not feminist, ultimately, right? Yeah. And yet, it does not do a good job of that message because I think what's what you intrigued me when you said that her question was like, will people stand up when it's like comfort? What? How did you phrase that? Like, yeah, like like will people who are in that comfort position kind of call out a, a, a system that privileges them? And it's right. like, that's not what this movie is at all. <laughs> like, well, it's weird because like watching this movie, I was like. Obviously, I know this system is bad, mm-hmm. but, like, it doesn't – she's not doing a good job of making it look that bad. Like, yeah. I like I would love to, like, be in a gorgeous home and, like, do a tiny bit of cleaning and cook an easy breakfast every morning and then go shopping and sit by a pool all day and then spend my nights, like, having – my husband give me orgasms and I uh, drinking beautiful cocktails and going to dinner parties. Like it seems pretty great. And it's like, yeah, but that's not what this life actually is, which is why it's not great and glamorous. Right. Right. <laughs> like, which is what I think Mad Men is so good at, mm-hmm. right? Portraying a world that surface level does look glamorous, but then we see that it's like eating them all away at the inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, especially like the January Jones, you know, John Hamm marriage. Right. Like that's really good at being like, Oh, look at how glamorous it is, but also look at like what it's doing to them. Yeah. And this world does not do that. (laughs) I mean, this is where I need to rewatch the movie and Mm -hmm. like really pay attention to the men more. And I guess I will. Like, that's another thing that like, I'm going to rewatch this movie. (laughs) All of them. Like if they don't actually work at a company together, right. They just all go and have their own individual jobs. They all seem, but they do really seem invested in like promotion. Yeah. And like status, which I guess if they all are obsessed with this Jordan Peterson-esque figure, like that's really all it comes down to is like attention from him. Mm-hmm. But that was confusing. Okay. Oh, the Harry Styles dance scene. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? What, what, what was that about? Do you, am I missing something? Because I was baffled by that. To me, it feels like a control thing where like people in, in power like this aren't even yeah. on the side of the men that they're convincing. Sure. They're also using that. They're they're using them just like the men are using the women. Yeah. It's, he's saying, like, I'm in charge. I can make you do whatever I want kind of a thing. So get up yeah. here and dance for me. I will say that is one scene where I thought Harry Styles was very good. Yeah. Like, yeah. you could, like, you really believed, like, the panic and mm-hmm. the eagerness. And, and... He, he looks like a little boy at that point yeah. in time. Like, yeah. Which is great. It's perfect. Um, that was like one of the scenes. So because so much of it was spoiled in the trailer, that was one of the few scenes where I felt like creeped out, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and it real also when we get the reveal of her strapped down in that bed with her eyes wide open. Yeah. I mean, obviously horrifying and creepy. I wish almost they would have leaned into that more where we would have seen more of it. 
we would have seen the other women strapped in bed. Mm -hmm. And I'm usually not the person that's like, I want to see women being like tortured. (laughs) Yeah. Like, let's have more images of that. But I think to really convey how like a fucked up of a situation this is, you can't just fly by it. (laughs) I mean, especially when it it is the reveal. Like, yeah. When it when that's the reveal, you want people to sit in that for a little bit and understand yeah. the situation. I think we got some flashes earlier, like of her memory of like knowing that this isn't real. But once right. we see the real, I want to understand what's happening fully. So, yeah, I guess also like the whole virtual reality. I have a million questions. Like, mm-hmm. if it's all virtual reality, why was there a plane crash? Yep. Why? I listened to one podcast where someone was talking about this and she was like, really in their fantasy world, there's a community pool. Like we can't just all have pools in our backyard. (laughs) (laughs) There's things like that. Like it it all gets, I I can forgive the movie. Some of those questions like, Mm -hmm. you know, why? Oh, I do have questions. It does make you think about like, okay, so all these wives are real women strapped to beds. Right. And then, Florence Pugh goes like, oh my God, the children. And he's like, no, the children aren't real. Okay, so the children aren't real people, quote unquote, yep. right? A seeming, let's take him at his word for that. Yep. And that seems to be... Because uh, that would go too far, you know. <laughs> right, yeah. But like, it also seems to be verified by like Olivia Wilde saying like, my children yeah. are real here and they're not in the real world. Yeah. You know. Um, But then like, the town is full of other people like working in the town, yeah. like the trolley driver yep. or like when they go to the mall, there were these like models trying on clothes for yeah. the women. Like who are those models? Mm-hmm. And like the Dita Von Teese strip character, yep. like who is, she? it makes me think like who is a real person strapped to a bed playing a person in this <laughs> and who is a fake person like the kids. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and so and assuming, like, you know, the doctor is a real person, and Chris Pine is a real person, mm-hmm. and um, it's, yeah. Yeah, it makes no sense. Like, uh, like the more you pull at it, the right. more it falls apart, which is sad, because the concept at its core is interesting to explore. Yeah. Um, also, okay, uh, I, I was confused about one thing, where when Olivia Wilde like, reveals, like, I know about all of this, right, Mm -hmm. to Florence Pugh. She says something, she's like, you got to get out of here. They're going to kill you in the real world. Like, Mm -hmm. because if, she says, like, if men die in here, they die in the real world. Is that what she said? That if, my understanding was if anybody dies in here, they die in the real world. I think that's where I'm conflicted, because I think it makes sense to say, like, if anyone dies in here, they die in the real world. Mm -hmm. But I do think she said something like, if men die in here, they die in the real oh, world. Oh, really? Which, I don't know if that was on purpose. You know what I mean? Like, if she meant to distinguish, like, yeah. but if women die in here, they don't die in the real world. Or if she just meant that, like, if if she meant that anyone who dies in here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, do we think the Kiki Lane character died in the real world? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, yeah. Yeah. What a movie, man. <laughs> As Harry Styles said, it feels like a movie. It does feel like a movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I 
loved people dissecting that quote after seeing Don't Worry, Darling. Yeah. Like, you know what? I kind of get what he meant right now. Yeah. It yeah. does feel like a movie. <laughs> oh, um, I'm sure I'll be texting you later today with plenty of other things that are going to pop into my mind. Um, For sure. That's that's all this is going to be from now on is just us texting each other questions about this movie and yeah. what things were not don't make sense at all. Um, yeah. In general, I feel like I'm glad this movie got made. <laughs> I'm still interested in what Olivia Wilde continues to do from a directing mm-hmm. standpoint. I'm like, keep going. Keep keep trying stuff. Just maybe make movies that you're interested in, you know, like with themes yeah. that you uh, care about. <laughs> I want Olivia Wilde to make movies about real people, not movies about virtual reality people. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Um, I love Booksmart so much. And there are things in this movie, like the sex, where I'm like, make a movie about sex, Olivia Wilde. That seems like what you want to do. Um, Make a movie about, you know, women, real women in 2022, because when you did that, it was great. I would would love to hear more stories about what drew her to Booksmart and what drew her to this movie. Yeah. Uh, Because she did a phenomenal job with Booksmart. And I just don't think she connected with this in the right way. Like she knew exactly what what the tone, what she was going for yeah. with Booksmart, and it just didn't really happen here. So, no. I mean, is it simply a thing of like, is it a comedy thing? Like, you know, like is she just going to be better at a comedy than she is a drama? I think I don't think so because I think it does come down to the script itself of kind of yeah. like what she wanted, and I think like. A comedy is more forgiving of a story, but I still feel like that story is pretty sharp, like a uh, book smart. The story itself is very sharp, very smart, uh, very well written. And I think this, she is, as a director, she's more interested in um, scenes and visuals because like, we, we get so many of them here. And in me- book smart, those lined up with was lined up with the story itself my favorite scene in this whole movie is the opening scene that opening scene where they're like all the party. yeah they're all just drunk in a living room and like everyone's gorgeous and they're having a great time and you know kate berlant is you know mad about something and uh, olivia wilde is drunk and like passing out cocktails mm-hmm. if i would i loved every moment of that like it had energy. It ha- I was, you know, interested in everything that was happening on the screen. There was so much interpersonal dynamics happening. I loved it, and I that is the energy I want. From her. <laughs> well, we'll see what she does next. She's yeah. not currently signed on to anything, right? She she had two different movies in the works, but I think she just backed out of one of them. Mm, okay, I forget what they were about, but all right. Um. Okay, Lucas. Well, where can people find you online? You can find me everywhere at Lucas and Stuff, mostly probably talking about <laughs> what what is even happening here. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait for more people to see this movie so that we can, like, really, you know, get rid of, avoid, we don't have to avoid the spoilers. We can yeah. just gab about it. Yeah. Um, well, you can find me everywhere online um, at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. Thanks for listening. All right. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it? Go home? Yeah. Move along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. 